0: Starting a new series this morning, we're in the process of a year-long series called the Transformation Pathway, and this morning brings us to the next installation. You've noticed uh, during this entire series that each part builds on the on the next one. Starting with understanding the kingdom of God, Uh, we talked about the the individual, how each one of us has a relationship with the Lord, and and how we need to nurture that relationship. Uh, we've talked about the home and the importance of the home and, and marriage and family and parenting and how, uh, how important it is to, to disciple, how the home is the first place of discipleship. Um, and this morning brings us to a series that's going to take us for uh, into September, a series called The Overcoming Fellowship. The Overcoming Fellowship. You can insert the word church for fellowship But I like the word fellowship because it's a lot more relational and implies relationship. Uh, Whereas church, and we'll talk about this a little bit more this morning, church has some different connotations to it. Understanding, right, in our culture that church has taken on some different meanings. We're going to talk about the overcoming fellowship, the overcoming church for the next few weeks. uh, And then we will move into a series called Embrace Your Calling. Uh, which will actually take us up through November to the holidays uh, and into Christmas. So can you believe we're talking about Christmas already? Uh, Have you noticed in the stores Christmas stuff out? It's a little outrageous. It's a little outrageous. We're going to wait for like at least for October to hit, but it's just the way it is. Well, the church. When I say the word church, there's probably a few things that pop into your mind. And in our culture and in our context, uh, the, the same is true. Different people have a different understanding of what church is. For some people, uh, a church is simply a place. It's a building, right? There's a church down on the corner of this street and that street. There's a church that's been there for years. Uh, a, few, a few months ago, Megan and I got to visit uh, in, uh, a friend of mine in England for a few days. And while we were in England, one of the things we did is we visited some of the old churches that are there. We went to Westminster Abbey in London, a famous church, uh, huge cathedrals. But then at the same time, we would drive through the little villages in England, and there was these little village churches that had been there for hundreds of years, right? And for some people, when they think church, they think that this old building that's been around uh, for a long time. Some people think of something historical that the church is something historical that you look at. Throughout history, for others, you say church and they immediately think of a way or, of looking at or understanding the world around. Some people think about social order, how the church just helps to bring uh, order to society. For some people, when you say the word church, the words outdated and closed-minded come to mind. But there's all kinds of different ways of looking at the church and understanding church. Over this series, we're going to take time to look at the church from a biblical perspective. is really the only place that we should look at the church from. Because culture will uh, overlay its norms and its understandings over what the church is. And, and we end up with something that's distorted, that's far from the truth. In fact, I was mentioning the, the churches that we went, we went and visited in England. Um, Westminster Abbey, beautiful, beautiful cathedral. And it's huge. Anyone had a chance to visit Westminster Abbey before? Right? Just one person. Um, it's, it's amazing. It's enormous inside. Um, but the sad thing is, is when you go through Westminster Abbey, you realize it's more of a museum than a place of worship. It's more of a museum than it is a place of worship. They have tours that go through, and there's really cool things to see. And there are services that are held. In fact, they, they've been holding services continuously in Westminster Abbey for 800 years, which is pretty amazing. But here's the thing the congregation really isn't much bigger than what we have here at New Community. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of p- p- pomp and circumstance, and there's choirs, and there's all kinds of big events. But in way, when it comes to a thriving body of believers, Uh, The church is dead. And Europe has entered into what is called, what what researchers are calling a post-Christian society. So there's churches in in Europe that are iconic, they're historic, but they're no longer places of worship. Notre Dame in, in Paris is one of those places. You have all throughout Europe. And what's happened is that people now view the church as something ancient, Something archaic, something to be studied, something to, to look at, but not something that's active. As a result, Europe has become one of the, the, the biggest mission field for missionaries being sent. They're saying that reaching Europe is so, so difficult because people have checked out when it comes to Christianity and their idea of church. And can I tell you this morning, the church in America is heading the same way. We're headed the same way. We're on our way to being a post-Christian society. Here's the thing. There are people that live in Glendora. There are people who live in our community who've never set foot inside of a church, who've never opened the Bible, who don't know the story of Noah, who don't know the story of anyone, you know, Jonah and the whale. They don't know any of the stories because they've never grown up with it. They've never been exposed to it. And more and more, we're coming to a place where we're a a post-Christian culture, which is important for us to know as the church. It's important for us to understand these things, because when we communicate with people and we talk about who we are as the church, it will mean something different to the hearer. And so we have to start in a place where we understand who we are and what the church is. And so I'm excited about this, this series. I'm excited about these next few weeks as we talk about, as we unpack a little bit more what the church is and what God has called us to be as the church. Does that sound good? All right, we, are you with me? Just kind of wave your arms in the air a little bit. I know it's, I I I'm I'm a little tired this morning. I'm feeling it. I'm a little sluggish, but I know this. And when we meet God in His Word, He's going to stir us up. I've got a lot of verses to cover. We're going to have the passages up on the screen. Um, I encourage you to make note of those, write those down, and uh, and we're trusting God to do good things. Lord, meet us this morning in Your Word. Meet us in Your Word and speak to us about who You've called us to be as Your people. You've set us apart. You've called us by name. So Lord, I pray this morning that You would... You would do that today, that you would speak to us, that you would call us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in order to understand the church, we have to look backwards. Not, a, not in a historical study kind of way, but we're really looking back to the Old Testament and understanding God's heart for people. And God has a heart for you. He's had a heart for people since the Garden of Eden. From the moment that Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, from the moment they sinned and were, there was that separation between God and man, God's heart has always been for His people. And it's evidenced all throughout Scripture, starting in the New Testament. You see it with Noah, who I already referenced. Noah and the ark. God judges the earth and He sees that there's, uh, that there's the, the, the sin that has come and there's this depravity he says, listen, we need, to, we need to start over here. This isn't working. But he calls Noah. There's a call that goes out to Noah, and he says, Noah, I'm going to save you and your family. I want to preserve a remnant. Because as much as there needs to be some change, my heart is for man. My heart is for people. My heart is to restore and to save. And so he calls Noah. And he calls Noah to do some pretty ridiculous things. Right? Maybe you've seen recently that, the Hollywood depiction of the story of Noah. Um, I haven't seen the movie. I don't know how accurate it is, but I do know this. When we read Scripture uh, and when we read the story of Noah, it wasn't like the, the, the nursery paintings, right? You ever seen the paintings in the nursery rooms of Noah and the ark and how beautiful? It was, it was a hard calling, and there was a lot of destruction. It was a hard thing to walk through. But Noah walks in obedience to the call of God on his life, And he does a ridiculous thing. He builds a boat in a time when there had never been rain. It had never rained on the earth. He follows the Lord in obedience to do something outrageous. And through his obedience, God's love and his saving uh, purposes are expressed to the earth. He calls Noah. He calls a man named Abram, who would later become Abraham. He calls Abraham and in in Genesis, the end of Genesis, and he says, "Listen, Abraham, I, I, I'm calling you to leave your family. I'm calling you to leave uh, your 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 people, your culture, your customs, your language, everything. I'm calling you to leave where you are, and I want you to go to a place that I'm going to tell you about later. Does that sound like a good plan? Listen, I'm calling you. I'm going to pick on Russ because he's wearing a Superman shirt. Um." Russ, listen, I'm calling you. I, I want you to sell everything. I want you to get rid of your business. I want you to, to, to leave all your family and all of your friends. And I'm, I want you to pick up, and I want you to start moving. And Russ would go, and I know Russ because he, he, he's a planner, right? He likes. He okay, so how are we going to do this? And he's, he's always a few steps ahead. Well, okay, Lord, where am I going? Well, I'm not going to tell you quite yet. But I'll, I'll tell you later. Well, Okay, but you want me to start packing up and start actually moving now? Yes, but you don't, you're not going to tell me where I'm going. No, not yet. How many of you would be, yeah, I'm going to sign up for that. That sounds like a good plan, right? No, we, we would be like, no way. I need to know. I want to make my pros and cons and check the boxes and make sure. Okay, yes, this is good. We know exactly where we're going and how it's. Abraham, what does Abraham do? He does what God calls him to do. He sells everything. He gets rid of, gets all of his family, his immediate family together. They get up, they pack up, and they move to a place they don't know where. God says, I'll show you later. God calls a man named Joseph. Says to Joseph, now God's call on Joseph's life wasn't very voluntary, right? Joseph is sold into slavery, yet he knows, Joseph knows from the dreams that he's had and because of the words that his father spoke over him, that God had a plan, a call on his life. And later on, we see that plan and that call fulfilled as Joseph leads his people in in Egypt. How he saves his his people, how he creates a place. Listen to this. Joseph ends up in Egypt, a land that is foreign to him, a place that he doesn't want to do. And while he's there, God uses him as an instrument of salvation for his people. God had a huge plan and a huge call on Joseph's life. God calls the nation of Israel. He calls them out of Egypt, right? There's this man named Moses, and God says to Moses, go back to Egypt, the land that you came from, and tell Pharaoh, let my people go, so they could do what? So they could worship God. Let them go so they can go worship me in the desert. Moses with the 10 plagues and that whole story finally pharaoh lets the people go and they move into the desert he calls Moses he calls Israel he tells the nation of Israel i'm calling you out to be a people of a prophetic witness in the world to stand as a nation set apart a people whose name uh, who on which my name will be he says that you will be my people my prophetic witness And Israel moves into the promised land after 40 years in the desert, and they accomplish things unlike any nation had ever seen before. And the world around them knew that God was the God of Israel. They stood out. They were called out. The judges of the Old Testament called by God to address Israel and address the sin in their nation, to talk about the things that were going on in in that land He calls David, he calls Solomon, he calls the prophets who we read about in the the latter part of the Old Testament, the prophets who come out. And again, God calls these people to do ridiculous things. When you read about the prophets and how they prophesied and the kind of lives they led, it was not the norm. They were not normal people. Can I just tell you right now, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, these guys were not normal people. If you ever struggle with not feeling like you fit or you're not normal, it's okay. God's probably got bigger plans for you than the person sitting next to you. Because God uses people that are a little quirky. He calls these prophets and he says, listen, I want you to go and proclaim the word of God to my people. And I'm going to have you do it in the most profound and weird ways. But he calls them out. Calls Jesus John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. There was a call on Jesus' life to go. Jesus calls the disciples. says to them, come and follow me. Jesus calls his church. says, come, follow me. Within the church, he calls certain ones to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers. He calls each one of us and he says, I'm calling you to a purpose larger than yourself, and I have gifts and abilities and things I want to deposit. You see the theme here? The word call. It's the word calling that you have been called, that all throughout history, God called men and women and children to do the things that he was wanting to do on earth, to establish his kingdom to rid the world of darkness and introduce his light. It's that prophetic witness that God wanted to see brought into the world, and he called people to do it. See, here's the thing. God could have just showed up in all of his glory, right, and everyone would have just fallen on their faces dead because the presence of God is so awesome. He could have just showed up, but he chose to use people just like you and me all throughout Scripture. Why is this important? Well, when we look back on the history of Christianity and the history of the Judea christian faith and where we come from, we have to understand that the church is steeped in this word, call. This is what we are about. Abraham was called. I'm going to go back a little bit here. Abraham was called in Hebrews 11.8. says this, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. He was called to go to a place. And what did he do? He obeyed and he went. If Abraham had not obeyed, the whole story changes. It's through Abraham that Israel becomes a nation and his descendants multiply. It's through Abraham that Jesus is born. And it's through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we get to be here today. If Abraham hadn't obeyed, everything changes. And so we see here this this calling coupled together with obedience. The disciples encountered the same thing in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 22. As Jesus was walking by the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake. Why? Because they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James' the son of Zebedee and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Same deal, right? Same thing as Abraham. Come, follow me, Jesus says, and I will make you fishers of men. Here are two men that all they've ever known is fishing. Fishing is their life. It's, it's everything to them. It's all they know. They're not educated. What, they're men who have grown up as fishermen. They're part of a fishing family. What you do is you fish, and then you fish, and you fish. If You want to eat? You go fishing. If you want to make money, you go fishing. If you're bored, you go fishing. It's their whole life. And now here's this guy who shows up, this man who shows up, and he says, hey, come follow me. And then he says this weird thing, and I will make you fishers of men. There had to be a part of them that was like, what? That's just weird. Because they're thinking in their minds, I'm sure I would be. I'm going to go throw nets on top of people? Because they're fishermen, that's what they do. You're going to make me a fisher of men? And what's their response to Jesus? At once, and then later later it says immediately, they left and they followed. They walked in obedience to what Jesus was calling them to. The church is all about a calling and obedience. It's all about hearing the voice of the Father and hearing the voice of the Son and hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit as He would call us and then saying, I'm going to obey. And I love that both for Abraham and for the disciples, it wasn't a, Lord, give me some time to pray about this. Let me contemplate what, what the benefits would be and if this would be a good decision for me and my family. Lord, I just want to walk in accordance to your call on my life, and I'm going to do it immediately. I'm going to do it now. I'm going to walk those things out. At once they left. Once again, these are the men who would later on become the first missionaries. They would take the gospel and they would see the gospel spread around the world, resulting in us even being able to be in this place today. Their obedience led to us meeting here at New Community today. The call and the response. So what is the church? What is the church? What does the church need to be? No, what is the church in our own thinking? I, I grew up in church. I, was, I gave my life to Jesus when I was five years old at a church family camp. I don't remember a day in my life that I wasn't going to church or time in my life that, I, that our family wasn't involved in church in some way. It's just been the norm for me. I grew up in a big church. Grew up in South Africa. Our church in the 1980s uh, was about 9,000 people. I grew up in a very, very big church. That was a part of my experience. Got to travel around the world a little bit, doing some missions work. Got to see little churches, churches meeting under trees. I remember as a kid, uh, we would drive to church on a Sunday morning in Pretoria. and, And on our way to our big church we would see groups of people meeting under trees, having church service under a tree. And it always struck me, it was always amazing to me, even as a kid, like seven or eight years old, that, that it was okay to have church under a tree, and it was cool to have church in a, in a building that sat 3,000, 4,000 people. And that both were the church. And so we, we have these ideas of what the church is. But we need to define for us, and, and I would even say not just for us personally, but for us as New Community Foursquare Church, what is the church? What is this place, and who are we, and what are we about? We have to get this settled in our hearts. We have to answer this question in such a way that we own it. Because here's what I know. God is moving us forward into His season where I believe He's going to blow the doors off. There's there's some big things I know that God is stirring. How do I know? Because I can just sense it. I have dreams about what what this church, the kind of impact this church will have in the community. But there's been prophetic words and there's been things declared over this church that there's just kind of this, this rumbling that's taking place. And it's like, oh, Lord, something's coming. But I, as a pastor of this congregation, want to make sure that every one of us, when someone would say to us and ask us the question, what is the church, that there would be an answer that comes out of our mouths that is not an opinion or, or, or kind of flounders, but that we would stand and say, this is what the church is. And there would be a resounding answer to that question. So what is the church? There's two Greek words I want to take a look at real quick this morning. The first word is the word ecclesia. It's probably the word that's most familiar for those who've heard the Greek uh, the Greek word, the biblical New Testament word for the church. It's the word that, that Jesus uses. It's the word used throughout the New Testament for the church, Ecclesia. The church, the ekklesia is this, a gathering of citizens called out from their homes, into some public place an assembly the ecclesia is the whole body of christians scattered throughout the earth that right now around the world that there are believers there's other christians the church who are worshiping the lord together the ecclesia is also a reference to israel the assembly of the israelites is called ecclesia there's a root word here with ecclesia that really kind of drills down a little bit deeper. The word, the root word, is kaleo. The word kaleo. The word kaleo simply means this: to call, to call. So ecclesia is based on the root word uh, kaleo, to call. That we have been called forth. That we've been called out. But we've called to assemble, and we've been called together as a congregation. The same idea that existed there for Abraham thousands of years ago, the same, the same thing that was there for the disciples 2,000 years ago, the call of God. The church is this. It is the called out ones. The church is those who have been called out from, from sin into forgiveness and into a righteousness and a restoration relationship with God, the church is those who have been called out from darkness into light. Church is those who have been called out to make an eternal impact in the world around us. The church isn't a place; it's a people. The church isn't a, a place; it's a people. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. And we have been called out as such. A good friend of mine came up with this definition of church, and I like it. I like how he, he wrote it. And I thought, well, I'm not going to reinvent the wheel. I'm just going to read what, what he wrote. And, and I love how he encapsulated this. If we can put that up, uh, Micah, it would be great. The church is a community of people called out from every nation on earth to display, demonstrate, and declare God's nature, God's ways, and God's truth to all who live on the earth, so that they might turn to Him and live. Isn't that good? The church is a community of people called out from every nation on earth to display, demonstrate, and declare God's nature, God's ways, and God's truth to all who live on the earth, so that they might turn to him and live. Here's the thing, that the, the idea that God have for church hasn't changed since the nation of Israel. It hasn't changed since the call of Abram. That it's the same today as it was thousands of years ago, that the church exists to demonstrate and display and declare God's nature, God's ways, his truth, and contained in that, Is His agape love. That's who we are. That is what we are about. It is more important for us to be the church out there than to be the church in here. Can I say that again? It's more important for us to be the church out there than it is for us to be the church in here because here's what's happened in our culture is we go to church and we put on our Sunday best and we put on our church faces and we play church on Sundays. Am I right? And so it's this little act that I go through where on Sunday morning, I, I, I'm churchy. And in the rest of the week, I'm whatever. Now, some people... Man, they get it right, and we live lives that are right in line. But I want to tell you, for the average Christian in America, church is something you do once a week on a Sunday morning. And, and during the week, what's going to happen is I'm going to make some mistakes. I'm probably going to m- mess up. And so I need to make sure to go back to church on Sunday, so it's like taking a shower. I'm going to get my spiritual shower, and I'm like, okay. But the thing is, before I take the shower, I make sure that everything looks good because I don't want anyone to think that I'm messed up. Am I right? And so we come and we go, everything's great. How are you doing? God is good, right? And we say cliche things. It's more important for us to be the church out there than it is in here, because it's easy. And really, when we come and we fake it, We miss the goal of what Sunday morning is about. Can I encourage you? Here's what I would love for Sunday mornings to be for us. That we come together as a church body and be like, I'm a mess. (laughs) I need help. Could someone just pray for me? Could someone come alongside of me? Can we just dispense of all of the fake and all of the unreal Because it's in this place that we need to come and be ministered to and be, as Ephesians says, equipped for the work of the ministry which happens through God's church out there. See, But if we come in a way that says, you know, I've got it all together. God says, whoa, 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 no, you don't. That's why you need this. I've got it all figured out. No, no, you don't. That's why you need to be here. And we allow God to, to saturate us with his word, to spend time in prayer, to be with like-minded believers so we can get fired up. I mentioned I grew up in South Africa. And uh, school in South Africa is very different to what it is here. I moved to the States, uh, made my final permanent move to the U.S. in 1991. I was a senior in high school. I just turned 18 I got on an airplane three weeks after my 18th birthday. I left my family back in South Africa, my parents, my sisters. Um, I knew that I was supposed to live in America. And because of some circumstances in my life, I couldn't stay. Uh, I would have jeopardized uh, my my permanent residency here in the States. And so I told my parents, I've, I've got to go. And they really couldn't argue. They weren't happy about it, but they couldn't argue. So it... Uh, just just turned 18, got on a plane and moved to the states. I uh, lived with some friends up in Olympia, Washington. Um, actually, lived on my own for a little while. A little bit of my story. Um, but for that last th- th- that that year, I actually went to high school. I did my senior year of high school here in the states. I was I was like two months away from being done with high school in South Africa, and then came to the states and made the decision to. Redo my senior year to make it easier to get into college. Anyway, that's a lot of backstory. I end up in a high school in the United States, and it was different. It was very different. And it wasn't bad. It was good. There were so many things, like the education system, all of that. That's a whole other conversation. But I encountered a pep rally for the first time in my life. See, because the rest of the world, well, I can't say this definitively, because the rest of the world's pretty crazy about soccer. But we do excitement better in, in America than anywhere else. Like, we get hyped up for stuff that other, the rest of the world's like, we don't even know that exists or even care. And we get all fired up, people painting their faces. A football season just started, if anyone cared to know that. Um, football season, there's, I see a few smiles. Some of you guys get a little crazy when it comes to football season. Um, I encountered a pep rally. Let me paint the picture for you. I'm homesick. I've just left my family. I've left all my friends. I'm living on my own. I have to get myself out of bed in the morning to go to school, high school. Okay? I wasn't feeling very motivated. I have to go meet a bunch of people that I've never met. In my, my, I don't have a single friend. I've got to get myself to the school and get myself registered. And, so I'm already kind of feeling down. And then they make this announcement, first day of school, we're having a pep rally because it's football season. We're kicking right off, and, and we're going to get excited about, about football. And I'm going, I don't know what a pep rally is. So I just follow the crowds of people. And the way that our gymnasium was set up, you kind of walk through the, the building. It wasn't outdoors like here in sunny, su- sunny Southern California. It was rainy Washington, so everything is in corridors and closed in walking through this hallway with all of these kids pressed around me, and I hear a band playing music. Oh, it was cool. And there was this excitement in the air. And we turn this corner, and now the music is loud. And we press into this gymnasium, and here's the band, just, you know, high school band, just going for it, just playing music, People are cheering. There's cheerleaders. There's football players, and and each class gets to find their place in the stands. And we get up there, and 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 I'm sitting and now. The, now I'm like my my hair is standing on end. This is I've got goosebumps. The band is playing, and and there's something welling up inside of me. I'm like I don't know what this is, but this is cool. And they come out and they introduce. Okay, we're we're gonna we're having this pep rally today, but before everything else, we're gonna start. We're going to sing the national anthem. Oh, we stood up, turned to the flag. Someone came out, some girl came out and sang the national anthem. And I forgot about South Africa. And I forgot about my friends and I forgot about my family. And in that moment, I was just overcome with the most incredible emotion and the, the greatest feeling. We sang the national anthem. Then the drill team came out. They did a dance and then they introduced the the football players and the band kept playing. I, I could have just floated right out of that gymnasium. I had never experienced anything like that in my life. And all I could think was, I love America. I love America. But here's the deal it was just a pep rally, it wasn't the game, it was just the pep rally. We have to remember that this is a rally. This isn't the game. I could have walked out of there and gone like, oh, that was great, I can't wait to do it again. But the pep rally only matters if there's a game. So many believers spend their lives going to the church pep rally on Sunday morning, but they never play the game. They never engage in God's call on their lives. They love the show. They love the pump and circumstance. And they leave every Sunday feeling like they could just float out. Pastor, that word was right for me. Oh, Lord, the, the worship was just so lifting to my spirit. For what? For what reason? Because it's bigger than you. Abram's call was bigger than Abraham. Noah's call was bigger than Noah. David's call was bigger than than David. Solomon's call was bigger than Solomon. Peter's call, Paul's call, Esther's call, Ruth's call, they were bigger than themselves. The call of God on your life is bigger than you. And so if all ever happens on a Sunday morning is you leave feeling like, man, I'm so pumped up. So what? I'm glad, but the rally isn't the game. God's called us, called us. He's called us out, and he's called us into. He called Abram and he said, I'm calling you from the place you are, and I'm calling you into a future and a destiny that I will show you. He called the Israelites, and he says, I'm calling you out of Egypt and slavery and bondage, and I'm calling you into a land that is flowing with milk and honey. Jesus comes and he says, I'm calling you out of death. And I'm calling you into life. And he comes to his church this morning and he says, I'm calling you. I've called you out of the world to not look like the rest of the world. To be a peculiar people. The Bible says that. He's called you to be weird. Embrace it. But he's not just called you out. He's called you into a destiny and he's called you into a purpose that is bigger than you and bigger than me. We're called out. We're called into. The first thing we're called into is this we're called into a new citizenship, we're called into a new identity in Christ. Colossians chapter 1, verse 10 says this. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. We've been called out and brought us into His kingdom. He bought us. Saved us. He redeemed us. That's from a place that we were to the place where we are now. Paul talks about this grace in which I now stand. I was called out of a place of wrath into a place of grace. I was called from the dominion of darkness and brought into God's kingdom, which Jesus has established. That is what the church is. That we have a new citizenship, a new identity. So I got to move to the US when I I was 18 in 1991, but the process started years earlier for me. We applied for green cards in 1984, received our green cards in 1986. What a process. Interviews and and, uh, meetings at the embassy and reviewing of your life history. It was incredible. But we were granted green cards in 1986. We moved back and forth between the U.S. and and South Africa for a few years. And then, like I said, in 1991, I became a permanent resident of the United States of America. And I've been here ever since. But the process wasn't done. I got to live in the U.S., and I enjoyed life here, and I could do most things. Got married, had a family. Um, But there's some things I still couldn't do. chief among them is I couldn't vote. I also couldn't do jury duty, um, which I know some people are like, oh, but I'll get to that in a second. I've got an encouragement for you. I couldn't vote. Last year, 2014, just over a year ago, uh, I was naturalized as a U.S. citizen. Um, I got to go down to the L.A. Convention Center with 5,000 of my closest friends. And, and was sworn in and received a certificate that said that I am now a citizen of the United States of America. And that, to me, has been extended every benefit that comes from being a US citizen. A big part of that, I was traveling internationally a lot. And I realized this was in Dubai airport with, where the missions team, but Micah and Blake were with me. And the entire team went through one line and as a South African citizen, I had to go a completely different way. And I realized this, I'm not covered. I don't have the same covering as my boys do as U.S. citizens. That's not okay. And I needed to make that right. Good. and I raised my hand and I took an oath of citizenship to the United States. But it was so neat, the judge that, that did the oath then declared over us, said, not that you're just making an oath, but we're committing to you as a nation certain things. And I just like, I was back in that pep rally again, I was like, oh, I love America. I love America. I love being here. And I love my heritage, and I, I, I get to maintain, I get to hold dual, na- uh, dual citizenship back in South Africa. But there is something about this nation and the freedoms that we enjoy as a nation that when you come from another nation into America and you understand what it is that you are getting to be a part of. It's cool. It's awesome. With that, jury duty. Go to jury duty. I, I, I can't stress this enough. So many nations around the world, there is no jury. Some person in some village or in community gets to, to make the shots, call the shots, and usually it's the wrong shot quite often ends up with someone being shot, (laughs) damaged, hurt, brutalized. It is a privilege. It is a part of our citizenship, a part of our heritage. Go to jury duty, all right? Vote. I got to vote in my very first election ever in my life last year. It was just for city council. But I tell you what, man, I checked those boxes with purpose. Actually, it was on a touch screen. Be a part. Enjoy those things as a nation. But in the greater sense, God says you have gone from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the one He loves. We have a citizenship in heaven. And can I tell you, all of heaven has extended to you every benefit and privilege that comes from being a son and a daughter of the Most High. You have an, a new identity. And here's the awesome thing. We, I had to go through an arduous process with my family to become a U.S. citizen. I have friends that would love to be U.S. citizens, but there's just no way. Here's the amazing thing about God, is He says to all who would call on the name of Jesus that that invitation, that calling out and calling into is extended to every single one. To all who would call on the name of Jesus, that there is not one person who's turned away. Think about your neighborhood. Think about your coworkers. Think about the people in Albertsons next to you. That God is extending to them an invitation to be a part of a new kingdom, to have a new citizenship, a new identity, and God wants to use you to reach them. To have that prophetic witness to make an impact in their lives. Paul says, calls this the great mystery of the church. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 4 and 6, he says this. In reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was what which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has been now revealed by the Spirit of uh, spirit to god's holy apostles and prophets this mystery is that through the gospel the gentiles are heirs together with israel members together of one body and shares together in the promise in christ Jesus. it's open to everyone at first israel was the only benefactor But through Jesus Christ, that we Gentiles, we're Gentiles, have been extended that same citizenship. Paul says it's a great mystery. I don't know how it works. I'm just glad it works. I'm glad I get to be a part of this new citizenship. What is this church supposed to look like? Well, there's a few things. There's no dividing walls in the body of Christ. There's no dividing walls in the body of Christ. Paul says this, that we become one new man, that there's a unity that exists in the body of Christ. He says in Ephesians 2, verse 14, "...for He Himself is our peace, who has made the two one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in His flesh the law with its commandments and regulations." His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we have both access, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. No barrier. That the two, the Jew and the and the Gentile, are brought together. And that the barriers that existed before have been torn down. They don't exist. That God's design for His church is to call us out of the world where separation and division exist. Can we see that in our world today? The enemy right now is rearing that his head and playing that card the one that says you know what any any uh, unity that's been brought any peace that's been brought has been shattered in our nation right now we are seeing kind of division and disunity that we haven't seen in decades things that we thought were reconciled racial tensions that exist in our nation right now that we thought Oh no, that's a thing of the past. That's a part of our history. We're realizing, no, it's not. And here's why. It's only in the church, it's only those who are called out of the world and into this new family, into this new citizenship, where those walls come down. If you look around this room today, you'll see the diversity that I'm talking about. Men, women, and children different races, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different cultures, that we get to be as the church, one body. This doesn't exist in the world. The world tries, but it falls short because it's only through Christ that the barriers come down and unity is accomplished and established. God says, I want my church to be a church of unity. His church is a place where the Spirit empowers everyone. Acts 2, 16 through 18. Says this. No, this is no. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, listen to this. Both men and Woman, can I get an amen? Both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. You know what? God is for equal rights. He says, I will pour out my spirit on young and old, male and female, equally. If you will respond to the call on your life, I will pour out my spirit on you. If you'll say yes, I'll meet you in that and I will empower you. I don't care where you from, where 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 you from where you're from, what you look like, what your gender is, where you were born, who you think you even are. God says, I don't recognize those things. I will pour out my my spirit on sons, daughters, young, old, men, women. That's who we are. That's what God has for us. That's what the church is. a spirit-powered in people, called out of the world into a new kingdom to display and demonstrate the love of God. Young, old, it doesn't matter. In the church, every social distinction is removed. Galatians 3, 26-29. You're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Listen to this. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Full circle. All the way back to Genesis when God says to Abraham, I'm calling you to leave your land and go to a place because I've got great things and a great promise for you. That we are heirs to that promise. When Abraham said yes and he obeyed the call of the Lord, that we are the recipients of that promise. And in that promise there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male, female. Why? Because we are one. We are one in Christ. He broke down every dividing wall in society in the church. Every dividing wall. That's awesome. And can I tell you, when we live that not in the privacy of four walls, but when we live that as the church out there, it makes an impact. It makes more of an impact than you will ever know. See, because the world needs this. The world is hungry for this. The world is dying for this. But if we buy into a brand of church that says, I go to church, but I'm not the church. I go to a place on Sundays and I put on my best and I smile and I I just make sure everyone thinks I'm okay. And then during the week, I just live my life however, then you're not being the church. God says if you will be a real people, a vulnerable people. I love that Abraham and Noah and Moses and and Paul and Peter and and David and Solomon were not perfect people. They were not perfect people. God's not saying, hey, I'm calling out the people who, who, who make the cut. He says, I'm just calling out people who need Jesus more than anything else. And when we say, yes, Lord, I need you, he says, great, I can work with that. He says, I'm going to make an, an impact in the world through your life. I'll close with this this morning. Mark eight thirty-four through 38. Then he called to the crowd. He called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... The Son of Man will be ashamed of Him when He comes in His Father's glory with the holy angels. We're living in the end times. That any moment, Jesus will crack the sky, that He will descend in Israel as, as it's been prophesied, and all of the world will know instantly. You won't have to watch CNN, Read it on your your news feed. You will know, the whole world will know that Jesus has returned. But when he comes, how will he find you? This isn't a salvation message, though, if you need to get right with Jesus, please. This is the message to the church. How will you respond? Will you deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Him? Are you going to, will you, and will you continue to respond to the call of God on your life? To be called out and called into. Will you say yes to everything that God has for you before you ever know it? Jesus says here, Jesus says things sometimes you're like, what? What? You want to lose your life, save your life, you need to lose it. But whoever wants to save their lives will lose it, but if you lose your life, then you'll save it. What? Lord, I don't get it fully, but you know what? I'm just going to trust you. Abraham, leave your land and go to a land I'm going to show you. Jesus says, if you want to lose your li- save your life, you need to lose it. Can we stand together? There's a popular devotional right now called Jesus Calling. Jesus Calling, and I love it. Jesus is calling. His call today is is just as strong, just as emphatic as it was 6,000 years ago, 7,000 years ago with Abraham, 2,000 years ago with the disciples with the apostles, that he is calling today. He's calling you by name. And he's calling you out of something and he's calling you into something. What that something is, you and he need to talk about that. Yes, you get to be a citizen. Yes, you get a new identity. You get to be a part of a body of believers knit together in Christ in unity but there's more because it's not just for you the father this morning help us to engage with your call on our lives lord a call that doesn't always make sense lord you call us just like uh, the countless people in scripture lord You called to do ridiculous things, things that didn't make sense. Lord, you've called us quite often, Lord, to things that we look at and go, I don't understand that, but Lord, I'll walk in obedience. Lord, I pray that we would be a church, as new community church, that we would be a church that is marked by the fact that we're more the church outside of Sunday mornings than we are even on Sunday mornings. And Lord, that our times together on Sundays, that you would equip us and restore us and encourage us and heal us and and do everything you need to do so that we can go out and be the church to the world so that we can display the love of God and demonstrate the love of God and declare the love of God to a world that needs to hear it. Every boy and girl, man and woman, young and old, no distinction. One people filled with your spirit, empowered to do your work. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.